jellyfish. At least you can see sharks. Well, that's true. Jellyfish just kind of float there and wait for you, and then all of a sudden, either you have something really hurts, or it's <laughs> a lot worse than that. No, and there's just a lot of lot of stuff in there that if you just go jump in the lake are, are not in there that yeah, I would uh, I, that I would rather avoid. I don't want to. So see that's uh, that's either. great. And you know, riptides are just like. It's scary. Seven, scary <laughs> stuff. I like the beach is fine. I'll stay right there on the sand. 7.30 start time tonight. Uh, actually, tip off. And then, of course, Mike is on it at 7 o'clock. And J.B. Long and Don McClain are the Pac-12 Network crew working tonight's uh, Oregon State game. Uh, I won't be able to watch it. I don't have the Pac-12 Network anymore. But um, we'll listen in uh, on the radio. So that's coming up tonight. Now, on the show today, besides your phone calls and or text, which is, of course, the Downward Dog phone line, 541-497-5356, and the University Honda text line, which is the same number, 541-497-5356. We had a really good conversation with Aaron Fitt about an hour ago, and uh, we talked all things Beaver baseball and national baseball and Pac-12, the demise, everything with Aaron. It was about 20 minutes long, and we'll get to that interview coming up, oh, I don't know, after our first break at around 1120 11.25 this morning, and then at 12.05, Michael Chaplin uh, will uh, join us and we'll talk uh, Oregon State Gymnastics, which we haven't done yet this year, and that is coming up at 12.05. Then at 12.30, we're going to talk with Gareth Kwok, a friend of yours, who is the voice of the Portland G League team, the Rip City Remix. That should be good, and their first season of play at the Child Center this season. So I know you guys talked a little bit earlier this week about the remix, so yeah. good to get someone on. So you, how do you know this guy? Because he's three years younger. Three than years you. younger, but we went to school together uh, at, at Arizona ASU. State. Okay, yes. okay. Yeah. Well, good for him. Good for him. It's yeah. a TV thing, right? It not, is a TV. Yeah. So they think twenty-six games he does on Fox Twelve Oregon. Hmm. How many total During games the do they have? Season. So they. Uh, that's a good question. We can ask him. Yeah. Um, but all the home games are on television up in Portland, and he does all those at home. Okay. No, no travel for them. They don't do radio. They just do home TV. All right. So we'll, we'll talk with Garrett coming up at twelve thirty. Anything else in between will be topics of the day, including one that you just told me minutes before coming yeah. on the air, and it kind of goes in line with talking with Aaron Fit about college baseball here in about twenty minutes or so. And this is. Um, the stupidity is it hits a new level with this one guy. Go ahead and tell I the story. I have two things. So I have an idiot of the week. That's me. I'm just going to call myself out for uh, misplacing my AirPods yesterday. And you call me and say, TJ, you look miserable. Get over yourself. <laughs> and then I eventually found them, and I look stupid. So that's the idiot of the week. That's me. No, so call, it happens I'm to everybody. Call, before we get distracted... Uh, that I'm going to just call myself out for that. That's the idiot of the week right there. But I have an idiot of the year, century, decade, what, however you want to. I would say almost Brad of Bohannon all time. of a former baseball coach of Alabama. But not even him. It's no. not him. Uh-uh. It is the guy he texted last year. If you remember this, I, I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this last year yeah. when this came up. So Brad Bohannon at Alabama got fired in the middle of last year's season for the Alabama baseball team because he gave inside information to a buddy of his to go place a massive wager on a game he wa- they were in. They were playing LSU that day. They had their starting pitcher scratched. So Bohannon texts this dude, hey, this guy's out. I'm not going to tell LSU until you go place a $100,000 bet at a sports book. And the sports book is looking like, well, we have like 5,000 total on this game yeah. uh, across the country, and this guy's going to put 100 k down. Yeah. Suspicious. Little red the flag way, there. But the, but the way this all went down, it came out today with the NCAA investigation, and uh, I, I couldn't think of a, of, a, of a more obvious way that you would get caught with a crime than what, uh, what happened with 
Bohannon's friend. So here's the blurb from the NCAA investigation that was released today. Shortly after receiving electronic messages from Bohannon, the better attempted to place a $100,000 wager on the LSU baseball team at the BetMGM Sportsbook at the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. But the sportsbook staff limited the better to a $15,000 wager. The better then attempted to place additional wagers involving the April 28th Alabama versus LSU baseball game, but the sportsbook staff declined the wagers due to suspicious activity. What is that suspicious activity, you might ask? <laughs> this activity included the better's insistent demeter to get the bet placed and statements to the sportsbook staff that the bet was, quote, for sure going to win and, quote, if only you guys knew what I knew, the suspicious activity also included the better showing the sportsbook staff members messages from Bohannon and explaining the messages were Bohannon informing the better that Alabama was scratching their starting pitcher before the game and before Bohannon alerted LSU. Hey, I'm committing a felony. Look, put my money down. That's put incredible. It down. And he, uh, he threw his friend under the bus and yeah. got him fired. Yeah. <laughs> by saying, yeah, the, the coach sent me this. Look, look, look co- coach told me. Coach gave me inside information. Take my money in this. In the sports book. Uh, 911? <laughs> 9-1-1, what's your emergency? I mean, this, I mean, you can't even script stuff like this. You couldn't put this on SNL. No. You couldn't put this in a TV show. You no couldn't one would put believe this, it. They, would, they wouldn't believe it. Like, who would be this stupid <laughs> to pull something like that? Do you know, oh, gee, the, man, I wonder why you got arrested. Oh, I don't know. Why don't you just told you told the entity that is supposed to pay you out an yeah. absurd amount of money, which they're not going to want to do anyway. They wouldn't want to. So let's away. say you're not breaking any laws. The last thing you want to do is say, "I'm about to take you for you know a couple about hundred to, grand." Yeah, about to essentially steal a hundred thousand dollars from them. What was his uh, his? Did he do jail time or what happened with him? Oh, that's a good. Let me poke around here. That I think I know that, like you said, the coach. So got the fired penalties mid-season. around Alabama baseball: fifteen year show cause penalty for Bohan and five year suspension if hired during that time. Five year suspension if he's hired. That's crazy. Mm. So no, he's not getting hired. Uh, the better uh, Bert uh, Neff was charged yesterday for destroying evidence, tampering with witness, and providing false statements to the FBI. That, I don't is know that the what, coach or the dummy? That's the dummy. So it's too bad. Hopefully Alabama, and I say this, you know, tongue in cheek, because you know, hopefully Alabama's program doesn't get, uh, you know. Dinged because of it. I don't the, think the, so. the players themselves should not have to. I don't think so. I think that was an that. individual. Uh, that was an individual. Um, the individual yeah, punishment. Yeah. Wow. Because that, that. I mean, wow. not a program penalty. No recruiting violations <sighs> or anything. Just two incredibly stupid people who thought they could. They could. <laughs> they could rip off these shortest investigation of all billion time. dollar sports book by just uh, by blatantly inside trading essentially with uh with information and the 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 crummy thing is so they're they're playing lsu and even though alabama has a friday starter you know they're probably still plus 200 on the money line you're trying to triple your money right there the sports book's not just going to write you a check for two hundred thousand dollars if you're uh if you're doing some shady stuff behind it greg burns shortest investigation of all time i i I can't (laughs) i i literally cannot imagine uh, uh the something more dumb process that goes through <laughs> stuff like that. I can't think of it. And this well, is why people like people are like, okay, so betting probably should not be in an X sport or whatever your opinion is on that. This is why, because as soon as the coaches realize 
coaches or people with information realize how much they can profit off of it, then the lines really kind of get great. And, <laughs> and, and, the, and the sports books that are offering these lines and offering money to winners have to be really careful of who they're taking money from and where they get their information from because well, that's things why, can go downhill very quickly. That's why every year on the Super Bowl on prop bets, I always wonder how they get away with that because anyone can get to anyone. So for, let's say, the, uh, the National Anthem, plus or minus three and a half minutes. Anyone can call up the person singing and say, you will go th- over three and a half minutes. You will. And that's it. You know, you don't know if you're going to get your legs broken or if your family members are going to be shot. You don't know. You don't, you have no idea. So, and then cut what color of Gatorade will be dumped. Now, the, someone the can the get to these people. Now, the, the thing with Gatorade though, NFL employees do get fired if they place any sort of gamble. And the NFL has very elaborate tracking measures to, to negate that. I mean, they've already suspended multiple players for gambling on games, whether in the NFL or off the NFL or outside the NFL while they're employed. So, that, like, they have measures to do that, but I mean, firing is just the start of it. If you're, well, I if mean, you're, if you're some, your field attendant that's working the Super Bowl and making sure the teams have their Gatorade, and you look in there and you're like, hmm, orange Gatorade. Yeah, well, see, I wasn't let's even make thinking sure, about that. Let's make sure this one's orange and this one's orange, closer to the players, so that when they dump it on there and I put <coughs> five grand on and orange Gatorade at plus six hundred, then I cash out and six times my money. And you just introduced another wrinkle because I wasn't thinking about that. What I was thinking about was an outsider, someone, and these, these, it's still very much alive in this country, gets to someone and says, it will be green. Yeah. What do you mean? It could well, be. No, you, you're going to have green. I mean, it's, not, it's just, you know, it's just what you're going to do. A, a lot of security measures when it comes to the Super Bowl. And, a lot. And the, the penalties, again, they, they, pro- they probably, for stuff like that, really scale up the penalties and, and the security measures and the vetting and, and in your employment agreement with the NFL too, or, or, or the team. I mean, there are, when you're reading the terms and conditions of your contract, whether at will or, or under contract forever, I mean, there is a clear policy that says, here's what will happen if you do this. Yeah. If a team employee is rigging the Gatorade for, to, to cash in betting, Unless, well, they will know. Well, and I don't know if it's happened, but what I'm talking about is an outside organization mm. saying to the trainer through the trainer's cousin whatever mm. you it will be green or it's else possible. That would they be don't de- say the or else they just be, say be. who they are and you know what you know i'm gonna i'm gonna want you to make it be green mm. i need you to make it be green and I love, if they I love have, how this starts we're just thinking of like the mafia coming back well, to life, see i didn't say making anything. a whole bunch of money by, All I know is, by, is that on prop rigging, bets, rigging not uh, not a not just a money line, not rigging a strikeout total, not rigging <laughs> an umpire. No, they're going to rig the Gatorade of the Super Bowl. All of those weird prop bets would be bets a good one. It would be a good one to do because you make a lot of money. All of those are at least plus one fifty. Yeah, on the money line, at plus one fifty. In case people are not familiar with yeah, that, you bet a hundred right. to win one hundred and fifty on that. So if you were to bet a hundred thousand, you would make a hundred and fifty thousand. Now I don't know what sports book you could bully into taking a $100,000 bet on Gatorade. As soon as the sportsbook <laughs> sees that you're putting $100,000 on what Gatorade color is going to be well, now, on hold on. coach, hold on. they're going to raise book, an eyebrow. A sportsbook would take any amount on anything. That's not there true. There isn't any reason. That's why this guy got what he said. Yeah. I mean, because everything he act, he, I mean, clearly, if you're acting that stupid, yeah. and if he didn't hadn't said anything, they probably would have gone, 
Hmm. And the fact that, like you said, they had maybe five thousand dollars on the game total nationwide. Yeah. But if you you're talking Super Bowl, oh man, no, all bets are off. You can throw down a million dollars on the Gatorade if you um, want to. I'm not so certain about that. Uh, on the money, on a money line bet, sure. On a on a on a player prop, but something like that, I there would be a flag. Any bet over X amount, there's always uh, um, there's a flag that goes up with the, the sports book. There's a flag that go, that is like, uh, I'm you're not, talking I'm not about sure I like the this. most the most active sports betting day in yeah. America. Yeah, with I, billions of people, well, millions of people betting billions of dollars. Yeah, in the sports books, I don't know that they would have the manpower to be able to check out every red flag, I, and that's not even a red flag. One hundred thousand dollars on green Gatorade. That's I not think, a big deal. I think they would because I mean, think about the, what's at stake. You mentioned billions. What if if they were to let something slip through the cracks on that day of suspicious would, activity? They they would be most at loss there. They they would they would be more vulnerable than any other time in the calendar year because there's the the volume of money there that they're they're trying to keep track of. That's the day where you want the most people checking things out, and you want to be the most in depth on the red flags and and people people trying to catch. One thing on is you. for sure. It would be really interesting to get someone from a casino on the air. Yeah, they. I th- to ask them I'm about say these things on those days. They have measures to to counter that. And, all right. Well, let, you know what? We'll find out. Okay. <clears throat> we'll find out. All right. Men's basketball tonight. UCLA. The Beavers are forty and one hundred and three against UCLA. But by the way, so are a lot of teams. <laughs> uh, down there, they've only won eight times. Eight and fifty-seven. Beaver coach Wayne Tinkle was asked just before they left for this trip what it would mean to win uh, against UCLA tonight. It would be huge, you know, to build off of the momentum that we, we started this weekend here at home, um, to, to, to notch that first road win, you know, especially in conference, um, and, and really just continue to build the confidence of this young group. Yeah, and winning on the road's key. I, they, they keep saying it. The, the, we talked right after that to Thomas Endong and Christian Wright and asking – What's it going to take to win on the road? He's like, we just got to just got to play better. I mean, just got to find a way outside of Gill Coliseum to piece together a, a winning effort. And it, it's, I mean, it, this goes for certain, uh, goes without being said, but it needs to be different than last weekend. Where, it, I mean, as soon as the ball was tipped off, the game was over. Right, last week versus uh, uh, two weeks ago versus Colorado and Utah. Right, it can't be that way. Luckily, both. LA schools are are struggling this year, talented or not. They have been Arizona and Arizona State significantly uh, significantly underperforming expectations. But uh, you know, the, all part of a team growing is is starting to play better on the road, and they showed multiple ways, whether it be shooting well or a good defensive effort versus ASU, especially along the perimeter, and they can force teams into their weaknesses and and really uh, uh, take advantage of it and, and use it to their benefit. And Let's listen to Thomas. Going there really is like a, a second chance. I'd say we're going to be even more prepared than we were last time, and we're definitely looking forward to play against them. And, and thankfully, you've already seen this season when you had these two teams at Gill Coliseum. I mean, you match up right with them. I mean, UCLA had to come back in the second half and beat you. 
USC, their best offensive game of the year. You know, uh, you know, you can score against them, and you know that if you play well, you can definitely beat that team, regardless of the star, star talent on the other side. Now, after the wins over Arizona and Arizona State, everybody was buzzing, especially with the women and their wins over Colorado and Utah. And Christian Wright was asked about the energy. It's so crazy. I tried to, I had to try to just stay inside because there's a lot going on, but it's definitely good for the whole school and both basketball programs for just the four wins that we did this weekend. Something tells me Beaver Nation was having a lot of fun, especially the students yeah. this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> they they got to get over the hump of, of playing on the road, being yeah. on the road, and uh, bringing the same amount of energy. And, and the same smarts. you got to focus. you got to yeah. focus on things and do all the things you do at home. There, there should never be, and there is, and it's been going on in sports since I've been watching. Little kid, you know, I remember there would be times, you know, when I was a, a, a little kid, and it was during the Walton years, and Blazer games, and... and um, you know, you'd think, man, oh, it's a road game. You're, you just kind of think you're going to lose when you're on the road. But no, there have been teams, Boston Celtics, even the Blazers, when some great runs back in those days, where they would just, they would win anywhere. And that was the makeup of the team. Mm-hmm. I remember one time, uh, was it Walton? Walton said that Burt, when he was on the Celtics of 85, and they won the whole thing, and just went through long streaks of road wins, and, and they cared. I mean, they were so competitive. It was the NBA. These guys were paid a lot of money, but they were so competitive. It's like they wanted to win their high school championship or the college national championship. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Walton said one time, he said, he said, Bird would call me up on road trips before practice that day at some college, and he'd call me up in my hotel room from his hotel room and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dominate you today. Hmm. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, and just challenging each other for fun. It's trash talking, but look, when you're making those kinds of calls and you're trash talking, you're doing those kinds of things with your buddies on your team about crushing them in practice today, that means you're a competitor. You want to win and practice matters. And they would go on long win streaks on the road. But, uh, I hear Jordan Pope was on the phone with Bronny earlier today talking about that and doing that. <laughs> I doubt, I doubt. <laughs> but, uh, no, Jordan with a great week. Player of the week nationally and uh, and uh, I in love, the conference. I love the quote with Wayne. Yeah, just saw him upstairs and told him not to get have his head be too big this week. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, that's fantastic for him. All right, it is eleven twenty-five. Let's take uh, our first break. We'll come back and hear that conversation that TJ and I had with Aaron Fit about Beaver baseball, national baseball, Pac-12, all of what we can get from the premier. Uh, website, if you will, the premier platform for college baseball, which is d1baseball.com. They have done, done such a tremendous job with that. And honestly, in just the last few years, the way that it kind of just came out of nowhere with scores and then became uh, became the premier site. Baseball America used to be, and then I think d1baseball.com has taken over for it. And, I, and we've got Aaron Fit Coming up next here on the Joe Beaver Show, Beavers Tonight in Basketball, we've got... Um, also, some gymnastics talk with Michael Chaplin coming up at 12.05. And then uh, Rip City Remix. We'll talk with uh, a gentleman, Garth Kwok, from Rip City Remix. And I've got some sound from last night's Blazer game with Damian Lillard and his return. All of that straight ahead on 12.40, Joe Radio and 93.7 FM. K-E-J-O. 12.40, Joe Radio. While we continue with our uh, coverage of Beaver Baseball and with the Joe Beaver Show here on this uh, Thursday, John Warren, along with T.J. Matthewson, and we welcome in our guest, Aaron Fitt from D1Baseball.com. Do you have like a, a, a full title, like creator, owner, grand poobah? What, what is that? 
Yeah, we don't really do titles. I mean, uh, you know, I guess editor, uh, national writer, or any of that kind of stuff. We, uh, we're kind of informal around here. And, and name the others that are with you at D1Baseball.com. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, Kendall Rogers, of course, is my partner in, right. in the deal, with the, the co-editor. Um, but, you know, Mike Rooney's involved uh, from, from ESPN. He's one of our, our key guys, our podcast host. Uh, Joe Healy, um, we added last year. was a great addition for us. Uh, he runs the SEC Extra and a lot of other stuff. And David Seifert, former Philly scout, uh, he, he runs our prospect coverage. And then, of course, we have Eric Sorensen out west. We have Shotgun Spratling, who's familiar to a lot of west people. A lot, a lot of staff. Mark Etheridge. we got a lot of guys, and we're, we're lucky to have them. Yeah, I, and, and Rooney, of course, did the preview that uh, we all see on D1Baseball.com for at least for the Pac-12 Conference and for Oregon State. Let's, let's just jump right into it. There's a lot of excitement here in Corvallis, especially from the coaching staff and the players themselves, about this year's team, the prospects, the offense especially. But, but not to be outshadowed, too. Uh, on the mound, they're excited as well. But just offensively, your overall thoughts then, as we get started, then we can kind of uh, dive into the weeds. On Oregon State Baseball, you guys have them ranked number seven in the country, and there's some great teams ahead of them, including Wake Forest, who's just loaded. But what's your just kind of an initial feeling on Oregon State as we get started? Yeah, they feel like clearly the team to beat in the West this year. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's wide open after them. You know, they're just kind of head and shoulders above everybody else, I feel like, out there. But uh, the, the offense, the, the defense, you know, the, the lineup, position player group, that really stands out. Um, just the athleticism and the balance and the experience, all that stuff is exactly what you're looking for. There's you know, a little more to prove on the mound, which is why they're, they're, they're not ranked even higher than seven, because I think it's one of the top position player groups in the country. Uh, but certainly there's a lot of pitching talent there. Aaron Fitt joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Aaron, this is TJ here with John. Oh, outside of Travis Pizzano, was there someone in that lineup that jumped out to you the most and, and someone you're lo- really looking forward to this season? Well, I think, you know, Elijah Hainline was a great pickup for him at shortstop that they got out of the door. Uh, it sounds like a pretty dynamic player, a guy that can really defend his position, and I think you know, that gives him one of maybe the best little infield in the country. Really, the whole infield, I think, might be the best in the country. With Mason Garrett, presumably at first base, although he can move around if he needs to. And, um, you know, Trent Carraway, just a dynamic freshman at third. They're really lucky to get that guy through the draft, and that's the kind of player that typically – Signed uh, for big money out of high school, and you know he, he's. I think he's going to be a superstar. there, kind of the next in, in the great line, following in the, in the footsteps of Pizana and um, you know Abby Rutschman and everybody else. So a really exciting pickup there. Can't wait to get eyes on him uh, at the Frisco Classic in, in week uh, week three. We've heard a, a lot um, about, and we see it on television too. Once the College World Series has gone along, and the SEC has really dominated the last fifteen years, and we've heard from Oregon State coaches about their lineup, and they think, uh, hearing from Ryan Gibson earlier this week, he thinks they're twelve to thirteen deep in the lineup of guys that could start every single day. The average yeah. g- good SEC team has how many of those players? Yeah, probably about comparable. You know, the, the really good teams tend to have some depth there, and, and I definitely agree with that assessment. I mean, I, you know, just looking at some of the names on this roster, some of the guys are going to have to battle for playing position. There's some exciting players. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for kind of sophomore breakouts maybe from a, from an Easton Talt or Jacob Craig or, um, you know, uh, uh, some of these other guys that have been around a little bit that haven't gotten to see the field a lot. You know, I could see uh, Jaden Trotsky perhaps. Being, being a guy, but all those guys are going to have to fight to get on the field. You know, they're, they're kind of blocked by older players. And so, uh, yeah, it's really exciting depth. I mean, 
you look at Dallas Macias, another player that I really like, that's probably the, you know, the fourth outfielder. Um, you know, if somebody goes down, you, you plug him in there and you're, you're feeling pretty good about it. So, yeah, they, they've got insurance even behind the plate. I mean, they're, they're probably three deep comfortably back there. So I think they've got insurance all over the diamond. I want to go back to uh, Trent Caraway, Aaron. Is his strength uh, with the bat or is it defense or is it just everything making him a top 50 yeah. prospect? Yeah, I think it's the whole package. You know, it's, it's, it's loud tools and, and really special instincts, I think, to, to play the game. I think he's going to be a high-level defender over there at third base. Uh, I really do, you know, even from the jump as a freshman. And, and, and I think he controls the strike zone well, and he's got bat speed. And, you know, athleticism is just a very exciting player. And with Bazana, you have him as a first-team All-American there at uh, second base. With Travis, what what is the ceiling for him? I, I see anywhere from, uh, well, maybe not one, but certainly in the top three uh, chances uh, at, uh, at, you know, top three picks in the draft. Yeah, he could go number one overall. I could, I could see that happening. I mean, because you know he's just such a dynamic player. He does everything. He, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it, it's an elite. Obviously, hit tool from the left side with, with extra base power. I mean, I love the fact that he not only hit 11 home runs, he 20 doubles last year. I love guys that really rack up doubles, uh, control the strike zone, more walks and strikeouts. You love that. And all the stolen bases, he can really push the action, uh, and and he plays the heck out of second base. I mean, it's you know, I think you're looking at a a potential, you know, perennial big league all-star at that position. I think a team that, that sees that, um, you know, maybe usually you, you see more shortstops, you know, catchers kind of, um, you know, obviously pitchers tend to be the guys that go at the very top of the draft of premium position. Second base regarded, you know, as more of an offensive position these days. But I, I still think that if you're a guy that really hits and also defends at a high level and you play second base, you know, why can't he go number one overall? I, I could see that happening. Aaron Fitt joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. What about the pitching staff, Aaron? What jumps out to you? Well, I like the experience. You know, I think that's the first thing. I mean, they do have some guys back that, that have done it. You know, I mean, Jacob Smats and, and Jaron Hunter, and, um, you know, some of the bullpen pieces. There, there's some guys that have been around, and then you kind of blend in some, some younger guys uh, or some, some transfers that have really exciting arm strength. And I think that's kind of uh, – maybe that's, that's really the key for them to, t- to take that next jump is – is are those new guys that have power stuff going to be able to throw enough strikes to in the zone enough? And I think I saw a who it sounded like was really, really good this fall, kind of an uneven track record during his time in Arizona, but it's one of the best arms on the staff. You know, it's real Friday night stuff. And it would be a huge boost for Oregon State if he can hold down that Friday night role and be a legitimate ace. And I think that's a, a major factor. But you know, there's other guys, younger arms that I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by. Um, I think it's Drew Callum's the, the true freshman that I heard was up to 96 this fall with a, with a power breaking ball. And, um, you know, obviously you've got Milton Keljo and Aiden Jimenez back or, you know, power arms again, mid-90s guys. Uh, they're going to have to be key pieces on this team that, you know, going to have to take a little step forward after ERAs in the fives last year. Um, but the talent level is, is super exciting with those guys. And the sophomores that have some experience under their belts now, I, I would expect a, a pretty significant uh, jump year two. Rich Dorman thought that possibly four out of the six freshmen that they signed could make some uh, some contributions. Eric Segura, Matthew Morrell, Leif Palmer. What do you know about those guys? Yeah, yeah. Those are, I mean, didn't mention those guys. Those are maybe you know just as good as any arms on the staff. I mean, um, you know, I, I think I think Morrell is, is kind of a uh, an X factor guy. He's you know former football player, really athletic. Um, you know, it's, it's 92, 94, it's, it's a lively fastball that plays up a little bit. 
Um, you know, that, that's a guy that I think is, is very exciting for sure. Um, you mentioned Segura. Uh, I think it's a, a changeup that really pans out there. He seems like he's pretty polished and, and ready to go. Um, I, I would expect him to be kind of a key bullpen piece early on, maybe a potential weekend starter down the road. And, and then Palmer, yeah, is probably the, the top arm in the class. I can't believe we didn't mention him, but just a big old six foot six righty that, you know, moves down the hill, 92, 95. And, uh, you know, it sounds like it's, it's aggressive mentality of a guy that comes after you. And, and there's more in the tank as, as he matures. I wouldn't be surprised if he throws even harder uh, over the next year or two. Aaron Fitt joining us. Aaron, I want to ask about now that it's official that Oregon State's going to go independent in baseball next year. What conferences are the best pairing for them to build their schedule out yeah. next season? What what would dominate that schedule? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's I'm really eager to see how it shapes up because you know most of the leagues you start conference play week three or week four, um, and then you're just kind of in conference play the rest of the way, and maybe there'll be an occasional buy here or there, usually at the very end of the year, like in the ACC in particular. Though, um, you know, they, those teams tend to have a buy at the end of May. Um, but I, I don't know where they're going to get their, their, their series during kind of the meat of the schedule. I, you know, and I, I know that they've studied it and they, they know. I mean, they've done some research on this and they believe it's going to work. Um, I'm eager to see how it plays out because I'm, I'm concerned about it. I just, I'm, I'm concerned they're going to find those games once conference play gets started because nobody really has a lot of holes. It, well, and is, you know, I was going to say, so the ACC is the only uneven conference remaining because the Pac 12 was one and the conference will now not obviously not exist. So, not in the baseball sense, so they they won't be uneven. So it's only the ACC, right? Yeah, you know, with the realignment now, I can't even tell you what the case is there because the Big Twelve used to be one that had buys. Mm-hmm. Um, the ACC is not uneven; they just have buys at the end of the year for exams. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know if you're going to get those teams to play during the exam break. So I don't know what, what, what good that really does. But um, yeah, the Big Twelve used to have some random buys sprinkled through the year. Uh, the Big Ten had kind of a strange calendar with, with 13 teams, but now that those leagues are expanding, I don't even know what that looks like now. I mean, it's just a totally different landscape. It's going to be interesting because, as we know, and, and we've been looking at this, Aaron, Aaron Fit, D1Baseball.com, mostly from a football standpoint. All through the fall, as everything was falling apart, and Oregon State and Washington State were, were dealing with, you know, in litigation and all these things, it was, we're just thinking football. We weren't even thinking about the other sports. And in the interim, Oregon State makes a deal with the West Coast Conference for virtually every other sport except for baseball. And then baseball just last week announcing that they will go independent. But like you say, they've done their due diligence on openings and the ability. But won't they be faced, too, with teams that may not want to play them? Or are they going to have to do them all on the road? Or would they get some home-and-homes with some some SEC teams or some big programs? Because they don't want their RPI to slip. Yeah, exactly, and it's uh, that's the challenge, you know, uh, is, is not only finding opponents who are available, but finding opponents who are willing to come yeah. to Corvallis once in a while, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not the easiest road trip for, you know, teams from, you know, where most of the college baseball teams are located, which is more the south-southeast. Uh, it's, it's the wrong way to go, and and so, yeah, you, you worry that Oregon State's going to have to play on the road a lot, too. It's, I'm, I'm just really nervous about the whole thing, and, and, and I hope it works out because it's a, it's a flagship program in, in college baseball. But it's not like football where you know, Notre Dame is independent, and, and they know they basically play an ACC schedule. But, um, you know, you only have so many games, right? One, one game a week for, for 12 weeks or whatever. Uh, not quite the same as trying to fill out a 56-game schedule. And, and so I just, I just don't know how it's going to work. I, yeah. I hope it works. But, uh, you know, hopefully down the road they, they, they land in, you know, in, in a conference that makes sense for them and, we can get back to normal, but in the meantime, it's going to be a little bit uh, uh, of a fascinating 
ride here, I think. How many Power Four series would they need in a given season to have a good chance at hosting? Well, yeah, I mean, it's you, you can host as a mid-major. And that's mm-hmm. the thing is that I wonder why they didn't, you know, decide to play in the West Coast Conference even in baseball. I, I know that that's not a league that has produced a lot of hosts. I mean, San Diego hosted years back. Gonzaga has been in the mix. Um, but I think you have a better chance, frankly, of, of, of hosting if you win a league like that you know, where, where you load up in your non-conference schedule the first three or four weeks, and then you dominate your league, uh, you can build a, a solid enough RPI to yourself in a hosting consideration. And, and last year, we saw Indiana State as a Missouri Valley team host, and uh, we've seen Georgia Southern host recently, and then uh, Campbell was right in that mix last year. So the major teams have been able to do it. You don't necessarily need to play power conference teams all year long, as long as you're, you know, you're, you're, you're playing a lot of games against those teams that are kind of in that 50 to 150 range in the RPI, rather than having to play a bunch of teams outside the top 200. Those are the ones that really kill you. It's the bottom end of your schedule. It, it just can't be that soft because it just skews everything. I mean, if you load up on those middle of the pack teams, and I think that's why the Missouri Valley Conference has done pretty well in the RPI and baseball over the years, is they have a lot of teams kind of in that middle range, and, and the bottom isn't, isn't too bad. Uh, and so I think kind of that, that's the sweet spot when you're building schedules. You can't get those, those premium opponents, at least try to minimize the amount of really weak opponents. I know it's probably conjecture, but wouldn't you also think, too, that if they were to do what you just explained and dominate once they got into league play and and won the tournament and all that, the history um, of hosting, the success of the program, all of that, do you think that there might be, oh, and then the circumstances of being jobbed by the rest of the other teams in the league and and now the Cougars and Beavers are on their own, would you think that there would be kind of an unofficial feel sorry for them as far as if they they were on on the edge of, of perhaps hosting or not? I think it would be, and you know, I think in particular the advantage would be the history of hosting regional successfully, right? Like they've they've proven they can do that. That's something that the committee sometimes wonders a little bit about. That can work against some of these, these kind of fringe host candidates that haven't hosted before. Um, you know, I don't know that the the pity card would get them very far because we've seen the committee is kind of cold-hearted about some of this stuff. I mean, just look at NC State. Um, you know, getting getting kind of a, a tough deal there the COVID year when they, they had to. Uh, bow out of Omaha when they were two and zero. You know, I mean, and then the next year they get snubbed by the committee when they had a pretty good bubble case. So I don't, I don't know how much of a uh, an advantage you get from from sympathy. Yeah, uh, but I do think that the tradition factor would be helpful. And it sounds like you guys are are all with like with everybody else, and that is just waiting to see what happens because you know the ACC could blow up, you know, because of Florida yep. State and their situation in the next couple of years. So who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's just so much uncertainty everywhere right now, and. It, you know, obviously, uh, if you're a West Coast team, you can play in any league now, right? I mean, you got you got Stanford and Cal in the Atlantic Coast Conference, yeah. and you've got you got the Big Twelve, you know, gobbling up some teams. You got the you know the the Big Ten gobbling up some teams. I mean, it, you know, everything's on the table right now. It's just a crazy world we're living in. Do you know how easy it would be for a, a baseball program itself to to want to 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 I would say or multiple baseball programs to band together and bring back? West Coast Conference just for baseball? It would be awesome. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's just such a tragedy because the Pac-12 was an amazing league. It made so much sense in so many different ways. And obviously, the fact that all the teams were in the West is nice, but also just kind of the, the symmetry of the whole thing. you got your two Oregon teams, your two Washington teams, your two NorCal teams, two SoCal teams, two Arizona teams. It was just like, you know, it made, it made the, the road trips make sense. You know, you'd go north for one, you know, and then you, you stay home for the other or whatever. I mean, it just it was, it was perfect. The league was wonderful. It had such great tradition. 
uh, all the, the, the teams kind of just made sense together from an institutional level. And I'm, I'm just obviously railing against the wind here because nothing matters now. It's yeah. all about the football money. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I think eventually, I think what a lot of people expect could happen down the road is football has its own thing and all the other sports you know, align differently. I don't know what makes the most sense. I think everyone's trying to figure that out. But uh, the current model, the football bumming model, makes zero sense. It's absolutely stupid for baseball and, and most other sports. And, uh, and even for football, it's stupid. It's just all about the dollars. Yeah. And, uh, it's just counterintuitive. So I'm, I'm, I'm very upset about the state of college athletics when it comes to conference alignment and, and something needs to get here. And a move like the the Southern California schools made, I mean, that doesn't even really benefit their baseball programs much, does it? No, no certainly not. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that those teams aren't real thrilled about having to go up to Piscataway, New Jersey, for their road trips. Yeah. College, you know, College Park, Maryland. I mean, it makes it makes no sense. And you know, you're leaving a really good baseball league for one that has, uh, you know, more of a more of a. I mean, let's face it. I mean, the Big Ten is in the pack. In the pack. You know, it's like they, they, there's some decent teams there that have made some runs, but they've had one Omaha team in the last 40 years, mm. um, so or 30 something years. So it's, it, you know, it's not the kind of. I guess they've had two. They had Indiana in 2013, they had Michigan a couple years ago. But yeah, it's, it's not the pack. You know, let's just face it. Yeah. Last couple of things, and, and real real quick thought on the uh, the transfer portal. I've only been concentrating on it for a little bit for basketball, mostly for football this time of year. What about baseball? Has it been crazy or has it been quiet? You know, Oregon State benefited by getting Aiden May in the portal. But what about teams around the country? Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's very active for sure. It's transformed college baseball just like it has, you know, football, basketball. Um, you know, these, these transfers are, are really kind of the way a lot of teams are building their teams now. You know, and it, it, but the one thing that is interesting about it is, is it kind of eliminates the need to have these, these bridge years or these, these kind of, uh, rebuilding years, I guess you would say, because you can just instantly go out and get some free agents, bring them in, and plug them right into spots. And, um, and then you filter in a couple of freshmen that you try to develop and, and, and hold on to. That, that's part of the challenge. Is, you know, you spend all this work recruiting guys, and then they leave after a year. And that happens in the power conferences, just like it happens in the mid-majors. I mean, you look at Tommy White, one of the most famous players in college baseball right now, the freshman All-American superstar folk hero at, at NC State, beloved player, could have been a, a legend there. He bolts for LSU after one year. You know, mm. it's ACC to SEC. So, I mean, it's just, there's there's no, there's some loyalty out there, but it's rare. And it, it's sad that we've gotten to a spot where if you're a place like Northeastern and you've got a, a star outfielder named Mike Sirota, um, who could have gone anywhere in the country this summer, you know, if he had entered the portal, um, and, and Mike Lavin, the head coach, told me, you know, I'll, I'll always be grateful to that kid for his loyalty because he decided to stay. And the fact that that's a rare thing now, uh, that these mid-major superstars actually staying for their junior year and showing loyalty, it's just a sad mm. kind of commentary on the state of things. No doubt. And lastly, top seven teams, Wake Forest, you've got so many All-Americans, first team, second team, third team, yeah. they just dominate. But how much fluctuation do you see in the top seven teams as to who might be able to win the whole thing at the end. Yeah, I, I think it's actually, you know, fairly wide open. I mean, we, we had a debate about our kind of top four with Wake Forest, Florida, Arkansas, and LSU. We kind of went round and round on that. In the end, Wake Forest was the right choice. I and mean, we got five preseason All-Americans. And the star power there is, is crazy. And, I mean, the whole rotation, um, all three starters are in our preseason All-American team. So mm. starting pitching is just a separator. But, um, you know, they're, I guess, the, the, the favorite, if you would say, but favorite almost never wins. I mean, it happens 
once in a while. Like yeah. last year, LSU as a preseason number one winning all was uh, might have been the first time in, in 20 years. I mean, it's, it's been a long time since that's actually happened. Uh, it's not easy to do it. It's just the hottest team that wins, not necessarily the best team. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think all those teams are on, on kind of a, a similar playing field with TCU and Vanderbilt in there um, and in Oregon State as well. And I think there's a drop-off after Oregon State. For me, that's kind of the, the top tier is that top seven teams. And then we've got A&M, eight, Tennessee, nine, Clemson, ten. It seems like that's just a little bit of a tier below the, the, the kind of top group. Are you making a trip out west, you personally? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I always do. Uh, I haven't. I haven't it yet. I know I'm going to see the Beavers in Week Three, at the Frisco Classic, which is a great field this year. It's going to be an exciting tournament. Um, but uh, after that, uh, we'll kind of see how the season plays out. But I'd like to make, you know, I like to make two trips out west every year if I can. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I'd like to make it up to, to Oregon State for sure this year if they have the kind of season that we expect. Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time. We love working with all you guys at D1Baseball.com. Thanks, Aaron. All right, John. You got it, my friend. All right. Take care. There you go, Aaron Fit. <laughs> wasn't even paying attention. All right. Well, that that's a, our conversation with Aaron Fit from D1Baseball.com. Good stuff there. Um, really good stuff. It always is when we get Aaron on the on the program. But uh, I don't know. Nothing uh, earth shattering, other than um, you know. I like the fact that he he. I was kind of feeling like when that top twenty five came out, I looked at the top seven and thought it might be that after Oregon State. It, it gets a little uh, lower drops tier. off a little bit. Yeah, and so he says, yeah, one through seven. And then inside of that, there was some argument one through four. And uh, another thing I, I thought is he sounds a little bit more pessimistic about the independent schedule. A lot of people yeah. around here were very excited. Yeah, I was surprised that announcement with made. He, he didn't. I he did not give a vote of confidence. Of Although the, maybe he, well, he doesn't have the inside of no, what the doesn't. team knows and who, what and who they can get. And you know that they vetted that. They yeah. vetted what was the openings. In fact, there's people you pay money to uh, to tell you what the deal is. We already know about the guy who uh, worked for ESPN scheduling, and, and he was somebody that the Pac-4 and then, then the Pac-2 were going to work with to say, yeah, you can do this. Mm. Is there a guy like that in baseball is the question. Or are you on your own? And if you are, and were they able to make it work? Obviously they were because they committed to 2025 being an independent year. That's a good question. <clears throat> but we'll as we've see. talked about ad nauseum, there's going to be so many different changes, I think, in the next couple of years. I think the ACC is just going to implode. And it's a shame for baseball-wise because the ACC is a very good baseball yeah, conference. Yeah. It's deep. It's a deep baseball league, and which is why I actually think if – if they're able to schedule a handful of ACC teams next season in the independent schedule, that's going to be an enormous benefit. I mean, we're talking about the number one team in the country in, yeah. in Wake Forest in the ACC, but it's it's not just Wake Forest. They they are deep. They, I mean, we're talking about a, a conference that puts seven, eight, nine teams in the tournament well, and each year. Duke is, is one that's interesting. They're ranked 12th. Duke is a team that the Beavers had several years in a row in surprise when I was calling games and open up with Duke, and they were good. They were good, but they weren't an established, and they weren't a blue blood. They were just a team from the ACC that came all the way mm -hmm. out to play in surprise, and they were pretty good. The Beavers would always beat them because these were years when Oregon State was getting to Omaha, but um, things have kind of changed. And Wake Forest has kind of come out of nowhere. I know they've been around in tops for a couple of years, but you know, five years in back, there was no Wake Forest. Investing in baseball. You and invest in the I don't know what they did, but here they are, power. And they and they landed Chase Burns from Tennessee last year. He was a projected, I think, first-round pick uh, at a, either at a high school or at a Tennessee last year, and they managed to land him in the portal. 
mostly because of what they have done with their pitching facility and how they make pitchers better. I mean, they had the ninth overall pick last year in Rhett Lauder, and Aaron mentioned all three of their pitchers in the rotation this year are preseason All-Americans. Yeah, yeah. And that's crazy. And that's just like, what better selling point to transfer guys? Hey, we'll make you an All-American if you come here and you'll go in the first round. And they also have have, uh, guys, second-team All-American, third-team All-American. And Nick Kurtz, their first baseman, is going to be a top-three pick. In the draft, and it's yeah, crazy. They're, they're loaded. They're, they were loaded, loaded last year. It was yeah. a surprise when they they lost. Then when they lost, they were totally loaded last year. Let's get our final break in this hour, and then we'll come back and and see if there are any texts and uh, get ready for uh, hour number two, which will start off with gymnastics and Michael Chaplin, associate head coach for Oregon State, and then Garth Quack, the voice of Rip City Remix, the uh, the G League team uh, associated with the Portland Trailblazers. Back after this on twelve forty Joe Radio. One hundred percent disagree. I'm right. You not on this one. I I am. <laughs> well, not on any of them, but not especially not on this one. We're having an in-house dis, uh, argument over when people text in. On some of them, the name appears, and on others, they don't. And because you're saying we that set the we contact do it. Names. Yeah, somebody because did, not me. Because there is a window that says edit contact, and we can put people's name in, like Amy. Most of those names were put there before I started working I can working guarantee there. you there somebody was no sat human in this being room. in this room somebody that sat ever in this room put contact names put to put contact callers. names on these. Somebody did it. I can 100% guarantee you mm. that no one, the only one would have been me. Do you want to or, put 100 grand on Or it? Josh Worden. No, but I'll put 100 bucks on it. Oh. I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we're, we're back. Did I say Garth? It's Gareth. Gareth, yes. Gareth uh, the Quack. Rip City Remix, the play-by-play broadcaster. 26 <laughs> games on Fox 12 Oregon. They're on TV. He does all the home games. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was fun to, uh, with Aaron Fit on that one. Got a good 20 minutes out of him. So that's great. Now, here comes... Oh, we uh, have an answer. An answer to this Let's one. see who's right. Get your 100 bucks out. I don't actually have 100 bucks in my wallet. Yes, we do. Who's we? You? You wrote Amy's name on her phone number. If we know the name, then we'll put the phone number. Mm, that's no. tough. Oh, that's tough, John. Never seen I'm it. sorry. It's never seen it. Oh. I've n- but your name doesn't pop up. You will text in there and say, I texted you. And I said, I don't see your name. Oh. I'll show you when we get off the there air. There we go. <laughs> anyway, closing out the hour. Okay. Uh, if, yeah, do we have time for a phone call? No, we well, don't. Probably not. We'll have some time in between the two guests. So Michael Chaplin coming up at 12.05. Gareth yes. Kwok from the Rip City Remix coming up at 12.30. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to have a bit of a promotion for the Oregon State Recruiting Dinner uh, coming up Wednesday of next week, Jeff Pivik will join us tomorrow as a as a promotion of that. Uh, yeah, and that at twelve thirty, I think that's here already too. That's a big deal. They, they it, always fill it. Fill yeah, it they still got some seats available, so we'll we'll get you all the center. information you need to know if you want to go up to to Portland and attend the recruiting dinner, meet the whole coaching staff, and uh, and hear the the spiel from Oregon State football. Sounds good. All right, we're down to our last minute, and unlike yesterday. I am hitting this at the right time. No, oh, that's good. So we can close out on time. All right, uh, Michael Chaplin coming up, uh, Gareth Kwok coming up. Your phone calls and your texts on anything that uh, Aaron Fitt had to say this morning um, from that last interview. Mike in Seattle has been texting back and forth with us about, uh, we were talking about Mike and uh, whether or not he's he's in the ocean. He says, not today. Mike Parker texted back it's and said, It's raining. It's raining like crazy down in Los Angeles right now. 
and Mike in Seattle, Stingray Bite, Tobacco Foot in Mexico. And it comes with a photograph. Always shuffle your feet in the surf. It causes the critters to leave the area. Yeah, see, critters is the key word of not stepping in the salt water. <laughs> nope. I've the stepped beach on is, a critter the before. The beach is nice. Freaks you out. And you get service on the beach, too. They're not going to come out into the water for you if you want a pina colada. <laughs> well, uh, maybe I suppose not. I suppose not. All right, th- uh, our thanks to uh, Aaron Fit, and uh, we'll be back here after this uh, short time out on 1240 Joe Radio. Time to enter the Magic Kingdom. Denise! Would you kindly clear the wheels? Okay, here we go. On three. One, two. Tweets and texts, faces and books. Tweets and texts and faces and books. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. In such an age as this, is there any room left for something as simple as radio? We believe there is. Touchdown, Beaver! He's got a chance to go! Joe Beaver Show is on the air with Mike Parker and John Warren, two men on a mission to prove that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. So gather the whole family. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you don't have one, fret not. I'll have the management send you up a radio. Be a part of the triumphant return of amplitude modulation. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Joe Beaver Show on the home of the beavers. 1240 Joe Radio. Hour number two of the Joe Beaver Show. TJ Matthewson and John Warren here on a Thursday. Michael Chaplin from the OSU Gymnastics team coming up here in a matter of moments. Gareth Kwok from the Rip City Remix, their play-by-play broadcaster, will join us at the bottom of the hour at 12.30. We caught Michael uh, going somewhere, and hopefully <laughs> hopefully everything will work out. Coach Chaplin, associate head coach, along with uh, uh, Tanya, and uh, just a, a, such a well-run program. So you're good. You, you got a couple of minutes here, right, Michael? Yes, we, we do. We're just pulling up to the Eugene Airport, getting uh, ready to head out to head out to Salt Lake City for a meet with Utah tomorrow night. Always a big one. They, this is big time. They they uh, they fill the Huntsman Center, and they've always got really good uh, gymnasts. Are you expecting the same this year? Oh yeah, it's going to be a big crowd. They've had a good start to their season, season so we're expecting a, a big turnout, and uh, should be a great meet. With Michael Chaplin joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. How have you felt the season's been so far, Michael? What have you been impressed with? What have What have you thought you guys could do better? Well, I've, overall, we've done a great job. We have some a lot of new people in lineup, so early on we had to, you know, have a little bit of growing pains, but we started to put all of our the last two meets together. Um, so we're feeling pretty excited about that. Um, that that people are stepping up and getting it done. And I think that's just going to be the, uh, the, how we'll continue to uh, uh, improve as we move along from each meet. Last week, Michael, we got a question from a listener about Ellie Weaver, and I didn't know how to answer it other than I found a website that is uh, all-inclusive on on uh, uh, on gymnastics, and they said left knee injury and the floor exercise and status unknown. Is there anything you can tell us about Ellie? 
Uh, yeah, it's a, a season-ending injury. She did make a post, um, so she will okay. be out for the season, which is definitely a, a, a bummer, a disappointment. You know, anytime anybody gets injured, it's always it's always tough to see that. But uh, she's in good spirits, and she's excited. Uh, well, she's you know going to have a positive attitude about her rehab and getting back next year, and and so she's making the best out of a tough situation. You know, one of the big things that is. Um no, for lack of a better cliche, elephant in the room, is everything that's gone on with the league. But one positive with is, is gymnastics and, and even wrestling and baseball, where it's like, you know, maybe not so much baseball, but with you guys and with wrestling in that you, you already kind of schedule things with other schools anyway, and that it's not not as huge as trying to jump into a conference or something along like uh, with, uh, let's say, uh, um uh, basketball, men's and women's basketball, and other sports. Is that true? Do you think you guys can do okay as far as scheduling for the next two years? Yeah, there's definitely a new challenge involved because um, you don't have a conference that you automatically connect with, you know, with certain needs. Um, but luckily, like baseball, we're kind of going the independent route, and we have enough people that we've already started to schedule the, the next two years. There's still a few holes in the schedule. But overall, uh, we feel pretty good about it. And, you know, we'll see how things unfold and what things will look like. But, um, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but we're going to get it done. Is there a we'll note? See some new, we'll see some new teams, too. I mean, that's the one thing that's kind of good. You'll see a few new uh, pro- programs that maybe we haven't seen in the past, but you'll also see some of the traditional teams that we've, we've seen in the past as well. So, well, actually, you you can't spoil our schedule for next season until it's officially released. So I'm not gonna not gonna ask you to to name anything specific. <laughs> but I'll say it is always good to continue to you know face teams like Cal, like you guys did last weekend, and then Utah coming up this weekend as well. Uh, Michael Chaplin joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. How has Jade been this season? How 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 has she grown as a, as a gymnast here in college at her in her junior season, and and what does she continue to work on uh, both at Oregon State and then internationally as well? Well, Jade's been great. I mean, obviously, she's we're trying something that hasn't been done before, where you're a college gymnast also prepping for an Olympic game, um, and that's pretty rare. So she has a little different role than she's had in the last two years. Uh, but she is an upperclassman, and she's taken on a, even more of a leadership role and kind of c- can help out in those uh, areas. The challenge has been it, as you prepare routines, they're twice as long and twice as hard as college routines. So the consistency of getting the numbers in you need in your college routine um, is you don't get quite as many reps, right, because you have to work on other skills. So we're starting to figure that balance out a little bit. And I think we've done some good adjustments this week to help her really prep for her college meet each weekend. Uh, so, in other words, we'll do heavier elite training at the beginning of the, of the week. But as we taper off, we'll stick strictly to maybe some of her college uh, routines and skills. And so she can really focus in on that. But she's excited, and it's going to be it's a big deal to try to shoot for Olympics uh, your junior year in college, and it's great for our program. Could you remind us again what which routines expand uh, in elite versus college? All, really, all four of them mm. uh, are, are twice as long and twice as difficult. And one of her, the two events you're not going to see her do a lot. She'll maybe vault occasionally, but floor is probably the biggest challenge because of the choreography. And you have four very, very difficult tumbling passes. Where in college you can just do two passes, and they're not as challenging is what she's going to need to do for the elite. So that's one routine that's very hard to um, do at the collegiate level, kind of water down and do. But her, 
her, even the vault is challenging, but her bar routine and her beam routine are basically half of her routine or parts of that, uh, that her elite routine is. So that's kind of how you do it. If those two events are a little bit easier, then they're not tough on your body, and it allows her to still do our uh, help us on those events consistently week in and week out. By half on the bars, you mean half as long, like she only has to be on the bars for X amount of time versus twice as long Basically, for the other Basically, that's a, that's a simplistic way to put it, just just for general fans. The, the amount of skills and the, and the difficulty of the skills is greater at the elite level. So that's mm-hmm. kind yeah. of the difference, right? So you, you have to do almost twice as many um, to get the difficulty level. At the collegiate level, we just go by a 10.0, correct? So mm-hmm. that's as high as you can get with difficulty. At the elite level, the more difficulty you add in, you just get more points. You can score, score like a 12, 13, 14 points. Huh. And that's really where her big advantage is. So when you watch Olympics, they don't get a 10 anymore. <laughs> you need to score like 13 or 14 to, uh, to, to be in the, one of the top athletes in, in line for medals. So what you're asking her to do really is just kind of pull back for the collegiate mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah, it's actually, and it, it, you still, in, at the college level, the difficulty of the challenge is execution. You have to be really, really clean because everybody can, everybody can get to a 10.0 start value with difficulty pretty much. Yeah. Like you'll see a start value and they can all attain that. But who can do it the cleanest and, and within, without any form breaks or without taking any kind of a step on your landing? That's really what separates you. And you say you've been working on this. Do you feel pretty good now going into this week that you kind of got the schedule down? Yeah, we've gotten it kind of dialed in a little bit, and I think that's because, like, it's the first time we've all done this. So that, that was the challenge of, okay, we, we maybe have done too many of the lead things, and that kind of haven't got enough numbers under our belt for some of the college teams. Uh, so I think we've kind of come up with a good way to approach it, and I think we're going we're gonna to see her really uh, – put together a big meet this weekend. Sydney Gonzalez, the senior, got a lot of love this past weekend with uh, after your guys' loss to California. What, what was so impressive about her, uh, her meet this past weekend? Uh, well, you know, Sydney's been doing great, and she had a great junior year, and this year she really is stepping up as a senior, uh, had a fantastic beam performance, um, and, and vault. They were both solid. This week we'll also see her back again on floor. So it's just that senior leadership, that experience, that she knows what to do when when time is when it's time to compete. So it's been great having her really step up as a senior and helping us out. Who else has re- really stepped up and, and impressed you this season and taken that that step from a season ago? Well, um, as our, I would point out, one of our freshmen, uh, uh, Sophia Esposito, she's had a really strong freshman year. But then you kind of bump into your upperclassmen, Caitlin Garcia, is really stepping into into some really strong points for us on floor and vault. Um, and then Ari Young, who's also senior, is really stepping up and doing a great job for us on, on beam and, and floor as well. So a, it's a really a group effort, and they're all doing a great job. What, what, what routine is where your best depth is? Um, that's a great question. I think initially it was bars, but obviously with Ellie going down this week, that was definitely because she was making three events consistently. Mm. But we still have a lot. We have some people that were in lineup last year that are kind of learning some new skills that will be back in. I would say bars is probably one of our deeper events, if I have to kind of look at them all, Um, and floor. Um, Beam is a little bit involved. We don't have quite the numbers that that we would like to have. But, you know, as a coach, you always want more. So so that's just kind of as as we look at it. That probably would be the two events that, you know, you have the most strength on. You don't get a break. You go Utah on the road at their place where it's going to be tough, and then 
host UCLA at home. They're always good. Are these two teams top teams like they have been in the past? Yep, they're all top. Last week was number two. Cal this week is their top ten team, Utah, and then top ten team again next week with UCLA. So this is a pretty tough stretch for us, but it's a great challenge, and it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to go against the best, and we need to step up and, and take care of business, and we should be in good shape. But hopefully fans will be able to come out and watch a great meet next weekend against UCLA, a great, great program, and it should be a fantastic competition. All right, Coach. Thanks for your time. I know you got to get into the airport and get uh, to where you're going. Utah, be careful, be safe, and uh, it's on the Pac-12 network so people can watch. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for having me, and go Bees. Thanks, Michael. Michael Chaplin, uh, associate head coach along with wife Tanya Chaplin, who has uh, really been the leader of this program, Tanya. Uh, gosh, forever. And in fact, they both come from UCLA. They were both gymnasts, met down there, been married for years and have run just such a great program here at uh, Oregon State. Really good to have Michael on. Tanya just doesn't like to do media. She gets too nervous. And so their associate head coaches, even though Tanya is kind of the leader um, and Michael's happy to uh, to take on the role of coming on these silly shows. And he's been really good to us over, <laughs> the, over the years I've been here. So it's, it's been fun it's to fantastic. talk with him. He, he was kind of in a hurry, but, you know, a lot of times we can get into the nuts and bolts and then talk to him about, about other sports, too. <laughs> he's a huge, huge sports fan and a big Beaver fan, and uh, so it would have been fun. Uh, but we'll get, we'll get uh, Michael on before the, uh, the season is out. They have a lot of meets coming up. In fact, UCLA at home next week, but they got to go to Stanford and then Tucson and Arizona State. Washington uh, is in Corvallis. That's a big one. Boise State and then Utah State uh, in Boise, Idaho before the Pac-12 championships and then regionals. And that'll take us into late April, the national championships uh, into late April. So it's still quite a bit of the season ahead for Oregon State Gymnastics. All right, let's uh, take a break. And when we come back and hear from our fine sponsors... We have more basketball audio and some baseball audio as well. And your phone calls and texts on any number of things you want to talk about as the Beavers get ready to take on UCLA tonight in basketball down at uh, Poly Pavilion. Along with TJ Matthewson, I'm John Warren. More of the Joe Beaver Show coming up after this on 1240 Joe Radio. Here we go. We are back here on uh, this, what is Thursday? It's Thursday already. And we've got uh, UCLA tonight. And then USC on Saturday, the Beavers lost to UCLA 69-62. I got a chance to call that game. Um, football was still going. Something was still going, and I got a chance to call that game. And uh, it was disappointing. It was, it was disappointing. But the, the team wasn't playing anywhere near like they played uh, these last, not just two games, but eh, three or four games. Mm-hmm. And if they can match the effort of this last weekend, then absolute winnable games. It's been a down season for UCLA, too. Mick Cronin has been very vocal about the state of his roster and UCLA's NIL functionality and the ability to get new players on a year-to-year basis. He's been as outspoken as any coach with his lack of roster, supposed roster talent, uh, and certainly will get much harder next season when they're going in the Big Ten in a better basketball conference or theoretically better basketball conference. Their tournament performances. Not represented that as at all the last few years, but uh, and at least in the regular season, certainly a, a, a harder task for UCLA next season. But uh, UCLA is not a tournament team this year. No, uh, not even close. No, no. And I like McCronin. I think he does a good job, and he stresses defense. And he's a good coach. It's just not working this year. I, you know how sometimes people will come up with some trivia or, you know, some kind of a sports anecdote that you just 
you just be like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Well, the one that sticks with me is one that Mike came up with, and that is when Slatskill was offered the UCLA job in like 48, 40, whatever it was, he turned it down because the panic from Oregon State came and they said, uh, we'll, we'll build you a, an arena and it'll be the best on the West Coast, which it was at the time and for many years. It wasn't called Gill Coliseum from the outset. And so he stayed. They built Gill Coliseum. The guy they hired then was John, John Wooden. Wood. To me, that is okay. amazing. That is such an amazing story. Would slots have had the same success? As no, Wooden? I don't, like I don't think so. It's a pretty high bar. I, it's a high bar, um, and I think Wooden would have had that success wherever he went. Although, he did have, and forgive me, older listeners, I don't remember the name of the, the, um, the guy that helped with recruiting at UCLA, but he had that guy that kind of helped and got kids in and uh, you know, I, I don't know all the details, but you know, there was some question about, about that and, and how so many great players ended up going to UCLA and, um, again, Sam something, I don't remember his name and, and this all happened years ago, but, but you just can't deny 11 national championships. No, you can't. And, uh, no, no workaround. No, the we the winning streaks they had and the philosophy and the coach and, and how it all went down. And there were some great ones. Slats was a great one. Same kind of upbringing, same kind of time period. Ralph Miller, same kind of a thing. But UCLA, being in the Southland where people want to go and the sunshine, not too hard to recruit there and certainly not too hard to recruit after a couple of championships. Wouldn't coach there for several years and did not have a lot of success. Mm-hmm. And then they bust through and just rattled it off and the train got rolling yeah the ex- station. exactly but to, to think that slats was was first offered that job and and then the the state the arena came out of that if the story goes that way and uh, that's what that's what we heard that the arena comes out of that and that's why you have gill coliseum which they just kind of everybody called it that it was just the coliseum and um and then, uh, and then uh, wouldn't get in that job. That's a great anecdote. I just love that. Sam Gilbert's the name you're looking Sam for. Sam Gilbert. There you go. Yeah. On the University Honda text line. Speaking of the University Honda text line, uh, a, a, a brief detour from basketball. We can, we'll get back to that here in a second. I have a beef on the text line. <coughs> I have a major, major yeah. beef on the text line. I'm looking at this shark that was sent to us by Dan Beaverton. Oh, man. And that that this looks like what it was like facing UCLA in the John Wooden days. Of uh, you're sitting in the ocean. And Dan says yet is a certified diver for decades. He's sitting there. I don't know how many feet below the water. It's like you're it's like you're a fish out of water when you see Bill Walton and Kareem walking onto the court on the other side. Uh, back in those days when UCLA was rolling and you know uh, out of the other tunnel or out of swimming out of the ocean is this uh, tiger shark or sorry lemon shark. That is swimming towards you. And hey, did you make the picture bigger? I can. Yeah, I it can. really highlights how big that that shark hey, is. How is this fun? It's, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, crazy. Dan and Beaverton. I, how is this fun? I would never do that. Of course, I personally have three things I don't mess with: snakes. No, thank you. Sharks. No, thank and you. ghosts. <laughs> No, I'm you. not handling any one of those three things. I'm out. I'm running. I'm crying. I'm doing all these things. So that shark is easily it's huge, 10, 12 feet long. Um, obviously didn't eat him, <laughs> but he was able to uh, get this to us. Uh, uh, like pass. 
<laughs> like, look at that. How is that? How is that enjoyable? It's like standing next to a rhinoceros, except they have larger teeth. Yes, and they can maneuver in the in water, water and better you than you can. You can't. You know what humans are not meant to do? <laughs> Swim. Live in water. <laughs> live in water, yeah. You know what sharks do? <laughs> they live in water. Dan and Beaverton, thank you for this photo. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, no thanks. I'll pass. Now, thank Mike in that. Seattle Mike in Seattle has been going back and forth. Mostly Mike Parker is engaging with Mike in Seattle, and they're going over uh, this, this heel injury that Mike in Seattle has from a stingray bite while in Mexico. And that's an example of uh, what we talked about at the outset about going in the water, which Mike is not doing today, Mike Parker, because it's raining down, down there in Los Angeles. But uh, so that's kind of uh, interesting. Could have done without the photograph, but uh, yeah, <laughs> he's dealing with that. Uh, Bill in Montana thinks that Casey may have reached out on the baseball scheduling. His contacts are obviously strong. Absolutely. Uh, you know, use him. Use Pat for everything mm-hmm. you can while he's with, with the athletic department. And, yeah, I'm sure Mitch has some great contacts, mm-hmm. too. And a question about Washington State baseball as well. They're on the University Honda text line about, are they in the WCC they are for 2025? It's a package deal, Oregon yeah. State and Washington State, and it's everything except, um, I don't know about everything their sports. Everything except Oregon State baseball. Well, depending on which sports they have. See, but they don't have softball. They don't have softball, so they're do. not in the WCC. But, so Oregon State softball team's in the WCC. Yeah. Oh, Washington State's baseball is an Oregon State's baseball is independent instead of in the now, WCC. Is Washington State going independent? In what? Baseball. No, they're in, in the WCC. In 25. Oh, no, well, no WCC. I thought we were just talking about the WCC. Oh, no, no. Just a so, deal like with yeah, basketball. The package, that is yeah. included in the package. So, that ba- so ba- they are going baseball. baseball. They are, yeah. Yes, they'll be in there. Oh, that was the one thing I, I didn't even think about. They're, mm-hmm. going ba- they're going conference and the Beavers aren't. Now, they'll have an easier travel schedule. They'll be much more in the state of California, I would guess, than, yeah, yeah. than Oregon State will be. Uh, they'll just have RPI issues. They will have significant RPI issues. As, as Aaron Fitz said, I mean, the Pac-12 was already at a disadvantage when it came to RPI because of the lack of quality opponents around them geographically. Right. And that's going to just, uh, it's going to just be extrapolated with the fact that Washington State can't schedule USC, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State outside of the non-conference. And then in season, the, you know, the WCC itself won't produce more than two top 75 RPI teams. Mm-hmm. And then all the teams around them in the state of Washington, the state of Oregon, Unless they come play Oregon State in a midweek series or Oregon oh, in a midweek series yeah. or Washington in a midweek series, those are their only opportunities to actually boost up their RPI. Otherwise, every time they lose one out of three games in a series in the WCC, that kills them. Yeah, right. Every I time. would imagine, though, that they would, and, and if, you know, if the Beavers were to do this too, but I would imagine that Washington State would load up, and same with Oregon State, on former teams. Just just play them in the, in the midweek games. Yeah. You know, and then for weekend series... Again, after you make that schedule, which the Beavers either have or they have a good idea of how they're going to do it, um, for Washington State, they have to play their their league. They have to play West Mm. Coast Conference games, but, you know, have every non-conference game you possibly can with a former Power Five. It's unfair to college baseball with with all this happening. It does not make sense geographically, monetarily, none of it. Uh, with football, we've already seen our complaints. But baseball, it for for the sport that's it, it is and trying to grow, it's uh, it's it's not beneficial to anybody. No, for, for no. this to all happen in baseball for Washington State and like for Oregon State in softball. Look, just keep, if you can if you can somehow recruit to the level you always have, 
go into there and dominate and, and win the conference tournament. Get yourself into the tournament that way. Which, if you can maintain your levels, you should be better. Now, Gonzaga's got some good baseball. Uh, the Pilots can come up with some mm-hmm. good baseball. It isn't going to be easy. No, it's not. And Washington State always isn't always a juggernaut at all. But it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be tough. And it'll be interesting for Oregon State. I think the Beavers are going to schedule with really good RPI uh, teams and have a really good RPI just based on uh, their schedule alone. I don't think it's going to be a bunch of uh, no-names. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already heard from them. They'll, they'll get some former Power Fives. The question is, you know, will they be able to get some home games, and how will they do each weekend? Because it would have to be a series against a team that has yeah. a bye week. And how? And are they going to be able to get enough games at Goss Stadium? The ball, the budget needs to be balanced, regardless. You got to get people in the door, paying for tickets, buying beer, buying burgers, yeah. buying all these things at, at Goss Stadium. Uh, it, that's got to. It's got to. They got to get enough home games as well, and that's important and something that's not as certain without a without a conference coming up here uh, in 2025. But it'll be interesting. It's going to be a very exciting schedule. I think people are going to uh, are going to really like what the the schedule they put out. I want to hear more from Travis Bazana. You were there, and we've got Travis uh, with a number of cuts. Gareth Kwok coming up. Oh, right now. You're right. Thanks for reminding me. I didn't even look at the clock. Let's take a short break, come back with Gareth, and we will talk Rip City Remix after that. And then we can do some Travis Bazana audio. That's up next on 1240 Joe Radio. All right, we continue here with the Joe Beaver Show and our next guest, Gareth Kwok from Rip City Remix, joining us here uh, on the uh, Joe Beaver Show. Uh, we, we also, in fact, TJ, we're going to talk, you know, here's some Travis Bazana coming up. Also, Damian Lillard stuff from last mm-hmm. night, which was a big deal. And uh, I look forward to this conversation because I want to learn more about the G League and how it works and guys coming up and going down and then some guys that may have gone into it that weren't, prospects and came out and were big in this industry in the nba through the g league so gareth kwok welcome to the joe beaver show representing rick uh, rip city remix thanks for for coming on with us hey thanks for having me and uh yeah let's let's talk some remix oh gareth uh good to hear your voice again it's uh it's been a little <laughs> it's been a little while but how has the season been so far in the uh, inaugural pa- campaign for the remix yeah, the, the season has really exceeded my expectations in terms of not just the, the competition that, you know, we're getting to see, you know, game in, game out, but just the, the atmosphere, you know, the, the fans have really showed up in full for, in full force to, uh, at the Child Center at the University of Portland. And um, you, just, you never know who you may see at one of these remix games, either a future Blazer or a future NBA player on another team. And, uh, no, it's, it's been a lot, a lot of fun and uh, – it's, it's, it's everything I, I could have imagined. Gareth Kwok joining us, the voice of the Rip City Remix, the G League affiliate of the Portland Trailblazers in their first season. Uh, what's the biggest benefit for a team like the Blazers, who has gone, gone so long without a G League affiliate, to finally have that team? Yeah, I think you know the biggest benefit is just being able to develop your own players in-house. And that was one of the things that, that you know, Blazers front office and yes, general manager Joe Cronin and everybody up at, up top in years past, you know, they're outsourcing players to other teams. You're, you're outsourcing, you know, an Ibu Baji to Wisconsin, to, to the Bucks G League affiliate. And, you know, they're, they're doing things differently in, in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin. You got 
other guys being outsourced to Stockton and to the Sacramento Kings G League affiliates. So they're just not getting any continuity. They're really not getting, you know, the same philosophy. Every every team has a different philosophy and, and mindset in terms of how they want to run their team. But you run everything here in-house with the Blazers. They're sharing the same practice facility down in, uh, up in, in Dwellington. And so they're able to mimic basically what Chauncey Billups and the Blazers are doing a lot of the same styles, a lot of the same play calls, and with what remix head coach Jim Moran has done, um, I just think the players are, are really benefiting now that uh, they've definitely become the beneficiary of, of this becoming the first inaugural team and um, just having, having everything in-house and local you know, at UP has been a huge, huge help for, for not only the parent club, but also the G League affiliate. How many teams still don't have a G League team? We're down to one. We're, we're waiting on. We're waiting on Phoenix. <laughs> we're waiting on the. Sun, Wait, don't but, are, don't they have a team in Flagstaff? Uh, they they used to, but I believe they they sold the team to uh, Detroit, and to, they're now the Motor City Crew. So hmm. we're we're waiting on the on the Suns. Um, I know they, they used to have a team. You're right, called the the Northern Arizona Suns. But um, but it's funny enough, we we were able to have uh, G League President Tariq Abdul Rahim on our broadcast last week and he's said he's you know very optimistic and confident that we're going to have all 30 teams represented in the G League uh, hopefully next year and uh, so we'll see but we're, we're just waiting on the Suns now. Gareth Kwok joining us the voice of the Rip City Remix. Uh, so you you talk about development with the G League and and that's ultra important and I think in a year like this for the Blazers having mo- moved on from Dame in the offseason and and recouped the the benefit of that and in return, going significantly younger and having a guy like Scoot Henderson uh, drafted in the top five of the NBA draft last year, and he spent some time on the remix. Uh, that uh, Gareth, uh, I, that is the premier example, right? Of that's the kind of experience you want a guy like Scoot to get is playing down at the G League. Oh, absolutely! And I know there was uh, you know earlier in the season. I know Scoot, uh, the Blazers announced that he had uh, been assigned to the remix, and it was really just for getting the practice workout in and at that time he was still um, banged up a little bit. So just um, making sure that he's, he's getting back up and healthy and getting back in the system. And boy, if he played in a, in a remix, if he played in a remix uniform, I'm sure we would have, we would have had a sellout the next day or so, but uh, he didn't end up shooting in the game, but and not just Scoot also, but you know, a lot of the two way guys too, like a, a Dwap Reese who he, he was a one and done situation between uh, he played in the first game, the very first game in remix history, dropped 37 points, and now he's getting regular rotation minutes for Chauncey Billups up there. So between him and guys like Justin Manaya, Ibu Baji, and then the rookies as well, Ryan Repair, Chris Murray, who have been able to get in and, you know, they can play 30-plus minutes. They can take 20-plus shots and, you know, just get, get into a rhythm that you're really not able to get when you're up with the NBA club. And, uh, you know, for them, they're, they're gaining confidence. They're, they're getting reps. And, um, you know, they've been able to, you know, Ryan and Chris have been able to come in there and, and do their thing. And when their name is called, especially when, you know, Blazers had a bunch of injuries at that one point, they're starting to get a little healthier now. But, you know, they, they're just plug and play because they got that remix experience and uh, they're, they're able to stay fresh and they can contribute. Gareth, because they're they're obviously during the regular season, you're doing your own thing, but is there like a spring training type of situation when they're all together? You say they share Tualatin's facilities. Do they intermix? 
uh, or is it two separate entities and you don't mess with either one? Or do they do they mix with like I don't know office personnel and and players practicing together? Yeah, to my understanding, I know they they share the facility, and I'm not exactly sure whether at the beginning of the season that they if they did some scrimmages. I mean, I I certainly wouldn't be surprised, and I don't I, I don't unfortunately have the exact answer, but. You know, I think some of the players have talked about, you know, getting to kind of pick the brains of the guys up at the Blazers and just kind of being able to, you know, support one another, you know, whether uh, the Remix guys and are, are at the Moda Center showing support for the Blazers. And we've had plenty of Blazers come to the Child Center and support the Remix. Uh, Ant Simons has come through, same with Shaden Sharp, Wap Reese, um, Damani Kamara, Jabari Walker. I mean, a lot of guys have come through the – to show their support, and um, you know, I think it's just it's just good from a, a chemistry standpoint too that uh, they're willing to spend some time on an off day too um, to, to to show out support and uh, definitely gets the whole fan base involved too. There's there's certainly a buzz when you see a blazer walk through at the at, at the child center, um, taking a seat and, and enjoying some remix action. Gareth Kwok joining us. What's a game day like? What? How's the quality of basketball? What's the in-game experience? What's a reason for some of our listeners up in Portland to, to come out to the Child Center and watch a game? You know, I think the best part about, you know, being in the minor league experience is that, there's, A, there's no bad seat. I mean, you can, you can grab any seat in the Child Center and, you know, you're basically, you know, within seven to eight rows of the action. And so there's, it's affordable. Again, tickets are starting at about $12, $20 or so, and uh, Ripsy Remix IPAs from Backwoods Brewing are, <laughs> are, for, are just $7 at the concession stands, and there's the beer garden, and for the kids as well, we have a little kind of jungle jungle gym, and so, you know, just for, it's, it's family-friendly entertainment, and again, you, you just never know who you might see at, at a game. Um, you know, we've gotten a chance to see some, some first-rounders from this past year, not just with the Blazers, but, you know, guys with, with the Jazz. And, um, you know, we've gotten to see some, see some other NBA talent from, the, from other affiliates as well. So I just think that aspect, too, you just never know who you might see and, uh, and who might eventually get their, their name called up to make an impact on an NBA level. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Okay, one last question about the, the competition. I know they play against the G League Ignite team. The, the remix played against them twice last week. Ignite is the team Scoot played on last season, which is the collection of essentially high school all-stars who don't go to college and are instead getting paid to play in the G League for a season before going to the NBA. How is the how is the competition overall uh, comparative for the G League Ignite team to the rest of the, the G League? Yeah, I know um, Ignite has been kind of up and down this year, but tell you what i mean we we had seen you know and and we had seen i'm, I'm sure just uh, the, the lottery prospects that are coming through guys like uh ron holland uh, amadis zealous and and holland in the second in the second game against the remix really showed out 31 points he was 12 of 20 from the field four three-pointers um you know and that was one of the things with him is he he's, he's got nba caliber athleticism and just physique uh, you know, being a six foot eight guy already, you know, 210 pounds, who can who can fly and jump. That's just whether he could shoot. And you know, for him, you know, he was able to kind of showcase the jumper a little bit. So I think for those those guys and for Ignite, it's 
you know, the wins and losses are not as relevant. It's more about the development and getting to see them, you know, how they compete against grown men, you know, guys that are four or five years older than them. And uh, certainly, you know, Holland and, and Buzelis, even a, a guy like a, a Tyler Smith, who's maybe who's a, who's a great shooter, and we got to see that in the when they played the remix. Um, but, yeah, you're definitely keeping an eye on those prospects because you just never know who, uh, who might be the latest Ignite guy to come through into the Blazers. So, but that was, a, that was fun just because you've heard about the buzz and you've heard about, you've seen it on social media and whatnot. And for them to be in person and kind of show out, that was, that was fun. Gareth Kwok joining us here for a couple more minutes. Uh, a little bit about how you got here, Gareth. I know you were in minor league baseball last year. And now you're in the state of Oregon. You're a California native. How'd it come about? Yeah, you know, um, between a couple of seasons of minor league baseball and, uh, you know, just saw the opportunity come about and uh, to be with the remix and thought it was a pretty unique opportunity. And you know, I've spent the last couple of, of, of seasons in baseball on the East Coast, but I've always had a, a soft spot for the West Coast. And, uh, you know, our, our family has done many trips to Oregon. We, we've gone to Eugene and we're still waiting to check off Corvallis, but, uh, you know, we've gone to Portland a couple of times to Mount Hood, and um, you know, we just we just enjoy the Oregon area. We've been to Bend and the Sun River, so I've always thought it'd be a nice place to live as for someday. And uh, it's been fun to really be able, you know, be part of history. You know, be a part of this inaugural season, and you know, uh, alongside my partner Devon Pouncey, the rest of our you know our expanding uh, remix front office and staff. It's just been. It's just been a blast. I mean, it's been, again, it's exceeded all of my expectations in terms of the competition, the atmosphere, uh, the players, and everybody has been super friendly, super welcoming. Um, so it's just been an absolute blast. Gareth, is there anything they do that's, that you wouldn't see in an NBA arena, which is kind of a strange question now that I think about it, but with, like, music or, um, I don't know, pageantry, any kind of, or, or, or timeout games, things like that, are, are they trying to, bend the rules and change the rules on that too or or is it like an nba game would be well there are a, a couple of uh rules uh that differentiate the g league and the and the nba uh we did have one game that did go to overtime and instead of having you know a typical five minute overtime period there's actually a target score uh, target score that um that team needs to reach in order to win the game so um i believe we were we were playing against the, the Delaware Blue Coats, the Sixers affiliate, and uh, the, the game was tied at 119. And so the, the target score was just add another seven points to the score. So the first one to reach 126 would uh, win the game. And uh, so I thought that was a, a sort of a, a cool way to kind of figure out a winner. And, and luckily for the remix, uh, they ended up coming out on top in that one. Um, between, you know, you had the target score and also, from a pace of play standpoint, um, every every free throw up until the final two minutes of the game, um, it's just one free throw counting the amount of points that you would normally get hmm. in an NBA game. So, I guess say if you were if you were fouled going into the basket, you would just get one free throw for two points versus shooting two free throws. Hmm. That's so interesting. It, yeah. So, um, it, yeah, you definitely have to be able to make your free throws and. Um, you know, it's it's just been a it's definitely pace of play wise. You know, we're we're out of there within you know, sometimes just two hours, or sometimes it maybe at the latest like two hours, fifteen minutes. So it's it's pretty quick. But I've enjoyed the 
enjoyed the new changes and uh, you know, and um, it's been fun. What do the players think of that rule? Um, I haven't gotten a chance to ask them, but uh, I guess you might have to ask whoever's good at free throw shooting or not. Maybe what they think. <laughs> uh, maybe an eighty percent guy is uh, gonna. Maybe an eighty percent free throw shooter won't won't have the same answer as a guy shooting maybe sixty percent. <laughs> so um, I kind of like. But yeah, it's, but yeah, there's a uh, there's a lot lot less free throws, but again, because of the rule, um, the game. You know, we're out of there pretty quickly. Wow. So. That's good. I like that overtime rule too. I've seen that in other. They things. do in the All Star game. Yeah, I like that. Reach a total and you're done. Mm-hmm. And that could last yeah. forever, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it's like they, you know, they don't score for a couple of minutes, right? It's like, uh oh, yeah. <laughs> anybody going to reach that target score? But, uh, but no, it's yeah. It's I think it's a cool way to decide a game, and um, definitely, you know, when you get closer and closer, those possessions you can start to feel the intensity kind of notch up a bit. Huh. Gareth, where can people watch uh, watch your broadcast? Fox 12 Oregon, right? Yeah, Fox 12 Plus, and uh, we're on um, NBAGLeague.com as well on, um, on their YouTube page. And if, if anybody is in the Portland area for tomorrow night, we're, we're hosting the South Bay Lakers. It's also Thrift Night at the Child Center at the University of Portland. There's going to be over 30 vendors on the mezzanine level, hmm. and doors will open an hour and a half early uh, before 7 p.m. tip uh, for those that are uh, looking to wander around and, and do a little bit of thrift shopping uh, and help support your local vendors out there. So it's a, a little unique twist to, a, to a, what would be a regular Friday night basketball game, and uh, you can get a little thrift night shopping in pregame and then enjoy some remix action uh, later on. And they are rolling, too. They've won seven of their last eight. So Very cool. That's cool stuff. Well, Gareth, we appreciate you taking some time to join us here today. I'll have to catch up you, with you whenever I'm back up in the Portland area. It's been uh, it's been a little bit too long, but thanks for taking some time for us today. All right, no problem, guys. Take care. Thanks, Gareth. Yeah, that's interesting. Just... There's not, you know, uh, I, I this year I I made more of an effort to do a little bit more shopping and and update some of my clothing. So that would be perfect for me. A twenty dollar ticket. Yeah, thirty plus vendors and thrifting isn't that expensive. I could get ten pieces of clothing for fifty or fifty to sixty. It's unique. Bucks. I've never heard of that before as a yeah. promotion. Um, I, I haven't either, but I think it's honestly, I think it's pretty good. You get yeah. some vendors that it's a good way to integrate local business and and get people out to uh, get people out to the arena. So not only so you don't have to go to thirty different thrift stores, you right. can have thirty thrift stores come to you, yeah. and they're all on the same walking, and you'll get a whole collection of things too. Uh, that would be intriguing <laughs> to me if, they, if Beavers did something like that. I'd think about that. It's a great promotion. That's pretty I, cool. It's, it's smart. It's very. I've not never heard of that before. Um, no, I thought that was cool. Uh, the idea too of of keeping things moving along. So just the one free throw for two points. I like the free throw thing. It does yeah. put more, it does put more emphasis on you making your free throws. You got to make your free throws. Yep. You do. And some people complain, well, I'd like to shoot all of them individually. It does speed up the game. It sounds like it's such a simple idea, but it, is. it makes a lot of sense. You shoot a three, you get fouled. You don't make it. You go to the line, you get one free throw. One free if you throw, make it, your team you get, gets three you, points. You, you, Gets three points, or if it's a two point foul, you get two points, yeah. or if it's uh, and one, you get one point. That's uh, that's really it sounds cool. great. That's it, really it, cool. It, uh, less lane violations, less substitutions, less all those things. I think it's that's awesome. Now, did he say I, I missed this part? Did he say that some teams share players and Portland does not, 
or that the whole league does that. Only one team has to share, put, send players to other teams, and that's the Suns. The Suns had the Northern Arizona Suns, which were in Flagstaff. They were there when I were in school, uh-huh. but they sold the team to Detroit. Detroit bought their G League team, and they brought them up to Michigan. So now the Pistons have a G League team, but the Suns don't. So the Suns have to outsource their, play, their players either to the, probably to the Laker Clipper teams in L.A. That's closest. Um, or to Utah, that's also close as well if they want to outsource there. Yeah. But everyone else has their own team. Those are all Blazers players right, on right. the remix. Just the Suns don't have a team, so when they're going to send a guy down, they It's send the Tacoma him. Rainiers yeah, of, yeah. of the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, it's like it's it's a, the same sell as minor league baseball. We're going to have fun promotions. We're going to have cheap tickets. We're going to have cheap beer. You can sit wherever you want, and you can watch near top-level professional basketball right up close in a, in a more intimate setting than than the Moda Center. So what's coming in, or did they scrap the idea, of the high, the league that high school players can go into that will be a league in and of itself with all former high school players and they get an automatic income? I think income. you're thinking of G League Igni- of the Ignite team. Is that so, it? Because yeah. I thought it was a whole league. I didn't think no, it was just one team. No, I think it's team. just one team. Oh, well, that's not bad. Yeah, one roster. Because there's only so many players that are good enough to, to quantify that. Yeah, I was thinking that it was going to be a complete new league. No. And that they would just get they would get money, and they either are good enough to move up or not. There are probably about 12 high schoolers every year that are good enough to play at a professional level right out of high school. Interesting. And the rest of them probably need to go to college and play. Yeah. And yeah. that's what why the Ignite League exists. They get paid a good chunk of change to go play there. They make significantly more than every other G-leaguer does, mm-hmm. but that's only for one season until they actually get drafted and signed to a professional contract. But I, I will give the G-League this. They they have significantly improved the working conditions and the playing conditions for a lot of these players where they have I, I believe they're all they all make well above minimum wage like they make enough to live and work and health insurance and stuff like that that make it a very comfortable experience playing in the G League something that Major League Baseball refused to do forever of guaranteeing housing and and guaranteeing their minor leaguers enough pay uh, enough money to play and live mm-hmm. and eat and not have to go to Wendy's every night and get a four for four for dinner <laughs> because they they literally are making twenty dollars a game yeah per day and it that just kind of kind of it stinks it's a, it's a crummy idea but the NBA was out in front of making sure all of their minor leaguers are taken care of and, it's not unlike, and they're, they're good to go uh, it's not unlike the barnstorming days of the of baseball. Uh, just going around the country trying to find teams, too, that you can play uh, minor league baseball in or, or semi-pro right. baseball right. back in the day. Doug writes in to say uh, on the free throws, yes, let's keep finding ways to eliminate tradition in all sports and all levels. Not, I agree with you, Doug, but I am also intrigued by the idea of one free throw. And I, I, should, I should qualify my intrigue. It, it, I, I am saying that for a different league. So, in other words, go see that. They shoot one three free throw. You get a couple of points. I'm okay with it there. I'm not okay with it anywhere else. So, okay, let me just ask a question. Yeah. Do you do our listeners actually like free throws? Do you get do you get pumped up when someone walks to the free throw line and everyone is just standing around? Uh, if it's a crucial free throw, yeah. A crucial free throw. That was a key word you used yeah. right there. A. 
crucial well, free throw. Well, you can't. I mean, you don't know when the crucial free throw is coming. They're all crucial. Every aspect of the game is important. Sure. And even if it looks like it's boring to a younger set, the, you don't need to change it because it's it looks or it is boring. But now um, I, I will just turn this around and say if James Harden was playing the Portland Trailblazers and went to the free throw line 35 times uh-huh. and we ta- talked a significant more about the Blazers, you know, the, the main topic after the Blazers lost because James Harden scored 60 and went to the line 35 times is right. why do they keep whistling the foul on James Harden? I'm sick of him spending all games sitting there shooting yeah, free throws. Yeah, you got to take Here's a way to eliminate bad. that. No. You got to take with the good with the good with the bad. Sure, and listen, fact, it's it's more boomer bust too. It, it, I, I don't it really even does. like the rule for college women's basketball, in which they're doing it somewhere else. Is it high school? No, where or it's just double. It, there's double no more one on one. Yeah, yeah, uh, high school. Yeah, it's like that at the high school level. Once you get to five, now it's a double it is. bonus. Yeah, in a so quarter, no yeah. more one on one. Correct. I don't like so that. So they just go straight to five fouls each quarter. Once you pass five team fouls, the other team gets to shoot two. Yeah, I, I like the one and one because of how important the front end of the one and one is. There's some great traditions in basketball. I don't I personally don't think free throws are, are one to get all wrapped up about. I would not want look, I, I'm older than you. You you have a different outlook on life. I, along with uh, Doug and others, I, I don't want to change anything about the game. Now, again, I am intrigued by, oh, one free throw and you get two points, but only in a novelty league, so, not right. in mainstream That's fair. Sports. That's fair. And I, I don't think – the NBA does not have an issue of games are too long. They, I don't – that is not – as far as I know, that is not an issue – that is not a prominent issue in basketball. I haven't. Yeah. So, therefore, there is no reason to change that. But in the G League, when they're – again, like – Oh, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's a novelty let's, league. Let's move, move things up. You're right. Now, baseball – has had its issues with with games being too long, and, and I, that is I do why, like the change. And that in is baseball. why they decide yeah. to have things to to change up. So, Doug, and, you know what? You, you're they are not going to eliminate free throws because what, it's uh, not a not a big issue. No, and what they did in baseball, I think, is pretty much consensus that it's good. Yeah, it is. I mean, every, players, coaches, fans, uh, it you is. Know, even long, you know, old time, long time fans. Um, CVB says, "How many free throws? Look up at what Pete Maravich shot against the Beavers. A lot." Um, I don't know what it is and don't have time to look it up right now, but I'm sure it's uh, it's quite an impressive number. There have been some guys that have gone to the line a lot in certain games. You're going to hate uh, this text from Dave uh, Dave from Sandy. Uh, yeah, I was listening. I was listening while driving. Had to stop and reply to your "Don't go in the water" discussion. One of the most amazing parts of this world is below the surface of the water. I don't deny that it is certainly unique down there sharks stingrays manta rays whose mouths are bigger than i am tall pass <laughs> octopuses pass yeah can't get enough swimming with them i i have i have enough and i haven't even swam thank you dave <laughs> that's funny that's funny all right who do we have to, for tomorrow we have uh andy pivik andy or, sorry, pivik. jeff pivik jeff pivik from uh he is part of the group running the recruiting dinner up in portland next week for the oregon state football team so looking forward to learning more about that We'll get Doc Parker on the show as well. And there was one other. There was somebody else we were shooting for that I thought we got. Maybe we didn't. But uh, those two for sure and maybe another. And, of course, just kind of wrapping things up on a Friday. And we'll talk about tonight's game, Oregon State and UCLA, a winnable game for the Beavers, and it would be number nine. And as far as we know, the last one at Poly Pavilion. Mm. There will be more. It's just we don't know what the future holds. All right. Our thanks to our guest, Gareth Kwok. And... Uh, who else did we have? We're Michael out of time. Chaplin, Michael Aaron Chaplin Fitt. and Aaron Fitt.